Hello, Health Investor. Welcome back to another episode of the Health Investment Podcast. Today, you're going to hear from Ryan Kipping. Ryan is a clinically trained registered dietitian nutritionist, certified lactation educator, and author of the Feel Good Pregnancy Cookbook. She is the founder of The Prenatal Nutritionist, a virtual nutrition private practice which focuses on preparing women for pregnancy and conquering nutrition during and after pregnancy. She helps women feel confident in their ability to properly nourish a growing baby through a real food approach. Ryan is also the founder of the Prenatal Nutrition Library, an online community for evidence-based nutrition information before and during pregnancy, and she creates content daily for her popular Instagram account, at Prenatal Nutritionist. In the episode, Ryan debunks common myths about nutrition during pregnancy, explains the difference between folate and folic acid, shares the most bang-for-your-buck, nutrient-dense foods pregnant women can eat, and more. Real quick, I want to share an Apple Podcast review with you. D rated the Health Investment Podcast five stars and wrote, I love these podcasts and now look forward to them every week. They are very informative and entertaining. I've learned so much from you. Thanks. No, thank you, D. You have no idea how much this written review means to me. If you're listening and loving what you're hearing on the Health Investment Podcast, I'd be so grateful if you could take five minutes of your time to give me feedback on an Apple Podcast review. I've created a link to make it super easy for you, so you can simply visit thehealthinvestment.com review, and I lead you through a couple steps to just do it in a jiffy. Thank you so much in advance. All right, it's time to hear from Ryan. Enjoy. Hi, I'm Brooke Simonson, certified nutrition coach and host of the Health Investment Podcast. Here's the thing. You deserve to feel amazing. But here's the other thing. There are so many confusing messages out there. Week after week, I'm going to share tips and practices that actually work for simple weight loss and sustainable wellness, because I want to help you get healthy for good without any BS. When I'm not podcasting, I work with clients one-on-one, so visit the show notes to book your free consultation. And don't forget to leave a review so that others can become trim, energized, confident, BS-busting rock stars like you. Thanks for tuning in. Enjoy the episode. Hi, Ryan. Thank you so, so much for joining me today on the Health Investment Podcast. I was just telling you off air that one of my top episodes has been one with a fertility specialist. And then now you're here to talk about prenatal nutrition and everything we should or shouldn't be eating before conception and during pregnancy. So I'm just Mm. super excited to have you share all of your knowledge with my audience. Very excited to be here. Thanks so much. I'd love if you could start by sharing your story and specifically what led you to become a registered dietitian. Yeah. So I guess, I don't know. I I can't say that I've always like been obsessed with nutrition or that sort of thing. I actually, when I was in college, I was a meteorology major first, <laughs> only for the first semester. And then I realized like, whoa, this is a lot of data and graphs and calculus. And I was like, this is not for me. 
And my sister was the one who suggested, she was like, I think you should do nutrition. And even then I was like, "Eh, I don't know. And I was like fumbling around with like, maybe I should just do biology or, you know, just something like super general. And then I took all these like, you know, career searching and major searching quizzes and things and met with counselors and like literally all of that stuff. Um, And then I enrolled in like a nutrition 101 course um, and I loved it. I had the best Mm. professor and I just loved everything about the course. And so I was like, yep, you're right. This is what I'm doing. So from then on, I was like super gung ho about nutrition. So I, um, how my program works is you had to apply to the program. So to be a registered dietitian, you have to go to like an accredited four-year university, take a certain, you know, curriculum, and then you have to sit through an internship and all of that thing. So my program was really cool. It's coordinated. So basically I did the coursework and the internship at the same time. Um, and then, so I, how, how I got into prenatal nutrition specifically is again, I was just interested in it since college, since we had like our first class on it, talking about prenatal nutrition and pregnancy and breastfeeding and that whole piece of the life cycle, I was just fascinated by it. Um, And so in order to graduate, we have to do like a capstone or thesis type project. So I did my research on a topic related to pregnancy, um, specifically caffeine, which I know we might talk about. Mm. Um, So I did my paper project on that. And then once I graduated, um, I took a couple, you know, odd jobs before I started working um, in a clinic with this population. So I worked in a clinic um, for almost two years working with pregnancy and breastfeeding. And then I decided to start my own business. Uh, I was like, I can do this on my own. Uh, Now I'm like totally virtual. So I was essentially working in San Diego and I, I did feel like I was making a difference. I was seeing, you know, and helping hundreds of women, but now I'm able to help thousands of women Mm -hmm. like all over the world, really, which is so cool. And, you know, we can definitely thank social media for that. I think just being able to reach so many more people um, with our education and things like that. So that was a kind of long-winded answer to how I got to where I am right now. But hopefully that, that gave you, that gave you a good background. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. Um, I know we'll talk at the end about where people can find you. And I know you have a bunch of awesome resources that you can share, you know, a monthly membership, I think it is. Yes. Yep. And lots of things. Awesome. Mm -hmm. So we could probably talk, like you said, you do talk about this all day long, every day. We could talk for hours. (laughs) So we're going to get as much out in about 40 minutes as possible. Perfect. I'd love, because you're the expert on this, if you could just start by sharing some of the biggest myths you see when it comes to nutrition during preconception and pregnancy. And then also I'm wondering, should we divide those or is it pretty much the same? I mean, how, how do you usually talk about nutrition when trying to conceive? Maybe we'll tackle that first and during pregnancy. Yeah. So, I mean, pretty similar, right? The same foods that are going to help you get pregnant are going to help you have a healthy pregnancy as well. Right. So that's why I, I love starting in the preconception period. And I talk a lot about this on my Instagram too, because that time before pregnancy is so important um, for many reasons. But number one, the baby's major organs start to develop 
right off the bat. And that's before most women find out they're pregnant. Granted, mm. women are finding out a lot sooner now, but usually, you know, what's pretty common is around eight weeks or so when you kind of like confirm that you are pregnant. Um, and by that time, some of the major organs have already started developing. Um, so those nutrients that are critical for, you know, this development of the spinal cord, um, those types of things are super important to focus on preconception, making sure you don't have any nutrient deficiencies going into pregnancy is very ideal. And then the first trimester of pregnancy is can be very hard. And a lot of times you're not able to eat much if you are suffering from nausea pretty bad. Uh, mm -hmm. your, your whole routine could be totally thrown off, like what you're used to eating on a daily basis. You may, may not be able to eat any of that. So if you prepared um, pre-pregnancy and kind of put in the work and you know, we're kind of on your nutrition A game, then you don't have to be super concerned because our bodies are great. They know what to do. They're basically just pulling on those nutrient stores that you have built up to make sure that baby is still growing and still thriving throughout the time when you're not able to eat much. So mm. yeah, that's so interesting. I've never thought about it that way. Yeah. You kind of set yourself up for success if you hit Exactly. And all you can eat is crackers or something. Right. Exactly. And people will message me like panicking, like, oh my gosh, how is my baby getting anything if I'm only able to eat two crackers every day? Like, what the heck? And I'm like, you know, our bodies are, are really great. So um, we have them to thank. But also we want to make sure <laughs> if there are times whenever you do feel good or you do have an appetite, that's when I focus on maximizing those times. Like how can we fit in as many nutrients as possible, all the protein and veggies and all those things. Um, so you kind of figure it out at that time. And then later on, if you have nausea, you're like, okay, I front loaded all my nutrients and calories. Mm. Yeah. That's really, that's, that's a really good point. Yeah. Okay. So then I guess talking about trying to conceive and when pregnant nutrition, similar, very so similar. Yeah. All your recommendations will be for sort of both times. And I would imagine yeah. when breastfeeding as well. Yeah. So breastfeeding is, is slightly different and your needs are even higher mm -hmm. during postpartum and breastfeeding period than they are in pregnancy. That's when your ne nutrient needs are like the highest of probably your whole life. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So then we'll definitely tackle that. But then going back to just if you could start out just some things you really want to get off your chest of biggest myths you see misconceptions out there when it comes to nutrition during pregnancy. Yeah, I think a lot of them come with the foods to avoid lists, right? Mm -hmm. Like the caffeine and the cheeses and the fish and those types of things. Um, some of the myths about there's myths about meat too and all of that sort of and eggs like runny eggs and things like that um the what about cheese so you often see you have to avoid soft cheeses on pregnancy don'ts list when actually probably like 90 percent of the soft cheeses in america are pasteurized so they're mm. definitely safe for pregnancy and it's a very easy check to do if you're at the grocery store just flip over the label and it'll say pasteurized on it. Um, the only 
ones you have to kind of question is like if you're shopping a lot at like farmers markets or maybe mm-hmm. if you like live on a farm <laughs> and you like make your own cheese or something like that then maybe that's a case where it's not pasteurized um but if you're at your like average run of the mill grocery store just shopping in the cheese section almost all of them are going to be pasteurized so definitely you don't have to skip on your soft cheese for the most part <laughs> okay what about you mentioned caffeine? Mm. Yeah, so caffeine um, is again one that's our coffee is like do not do during pregnancy. But really, what the evidence shows is that two hundred to three hundred milligrams per day is fine. Um, those are both recommendations from the World Health Organization and ACOG. Um, so they both kind of fall in line with those recommendations too. Sometimes women are averse to caffeine or coffee in their pregnancy. So, I mean, that's fine. Obviously, like you don't have to drink it. But I know a lot of, especially second time um, moms who are pregnant for the second time and are taking care of a toddler are like, oh my gosh, I need something (laughs) to keep me going. You know, especially if you're working and you have a toddler and all of these things. Um, You can definitely get away with one cup of coffee a day. Or if you're someone who does do more than that, um, my recommendation is just to maybe switch one of them to tea um, because tea has less caffeine than coffee does. So you can still do something like a green tea or a white tea or even a black tea. That one has the highest amount of caffeine. But even still with about one cup or two cups a day, you'll be under 200 milligrams of caffeine. Okay. And then I guess while we're going, just to kind of touch on some of the other common things that we're told to avoid. Yeah. So you also mentioned seafood. So I think when I think seafood, I think cooked fish, but then also raw fish in sushi and then shellfish. Yeah. So fish is a very great choice during pregnancy. Um, One of the issues with it is the mercury content. And that is honestly not, I mean, it is something to be concerned about. Mercury is a toxin, but as long as you're avoiding the highest mercury fish, there's so many other options that are low in mercury that are absolutely great choices for pregnancy. Um, so the bigger the fish, the more mercury it's going to have in it, which is helpful to some people, but I know not everyone is like a fish expert. So (laughs) like shark and swordfish and king mackerel, those are all really large fish. And then there's some types of tuna that are really big too so those types of tuna we want to stay away from but there's other types of smaller tuna like the skipjack kind that are definitely safe for pregnancy um shellfish so like um shrimp and crab and lobster and those types of things are also safe you just want to make sure you cook those ones all the way through because things like um ceviche which is just raw shrimp um That would be something that'd be off limits. Those things are often on the CDC foodborne illness outbreak list. So that is one that I say, definitely make sure you're cooking your shellfish, Um, but you can definitely still enjoy fish and stuff like that. The other one, sushi, which of course I get a million questions about sushi. I'm sure Um, we all love our sushi. (laughs) Right? I know. I know. And sometimes women are, you will find that many women crave sushi during their pregnancy. Um, which is super interesting. And the raw fish, so like raw salmon, is actually the nutrients in it are more bioavailable when they're not cooked. So that's kind of some of the thought behind why women might crave that during their pregnancy, just because of the, you know, plethora of nutrients that are in there. So 
first of all, there are plenty of sushi rolls that are cooked that you can enjoy. And the again, what I already said about the mercury, that's something you still want to keep in mind. So there are some sushi rolls that have, I think, like swordfish in them. I'm not like a I like sushi, but I'm trying to think. Is there You're not an aficionado. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I'm pretty sure there are some. I'm sure somewhere, ones. yeah, somewhere in the world, there's probably sort yeah, of so, <laughs> so just be aware of the high mercury fish. You still want to avoid those. Um, getting cooked rolls is fine. I know they have some veggie rolls. Um, fine. If they're, I think that like a raw salmon roll is okay, as long as you feel comfortable with the source. Um, mm-hmm. Basically, what they do is flash freeze the fish for 24 hours. And that's the process that helps reduce the risk of anything growing in the mm-hmm. fish. So you can always ask the chef. I mean, you shouldn't feel ashamed. But if I mean, you can just call before too and be like, hey, I'm pregnant and I want to make sure that everything's safe and they should be able to give you the answers. But that's pretty much standardized. Like if you go to a nicer restaurant, like sushi can be pretty expensive. So if it is expensive, that's probably <laughs> a good sign that it's like a quality restaurant. Um, so just obviously not like a gas station sushi or something like that, like a nice restaurant where you trust the source, then I think it's okay. Um, but of course, that's <laughs> that is a recommendation I tend to make on an individualized basis because right. you know some women have a lot of anxiety, and this is what I say all the time too. It's like if it's going to affect your mental health, then just don't do it, right? If you are if you're very concerned and something is really on your mind about like whether it's about a sandwich or about fish or something. And you're like, Oh, if I do it, I'm going to think about it for the next three days and that sort of thing. And I'm like, it's not worth your mental health to go put yourself through that. Right. So if you just feel like you're better off just avoiding it, then honestly, like you do you, this is your pregnancy. Um, my job is to make sure you have, you have the information to make an informed decision for your pregnancy. So that's really my goal is just to put the evidence and science out there and then let you kind of take it as you will and make the best decision for you. Yeah, that makes sense because I can imagine that stress is also not good right? pregnancy for right. your unborn child. So, you know, exactly kind of finding the space where you feel comfortable and confident. Exactly. So you mentioned sandwiches. So I would think that would be going along the lines of deli meat, which we hear a lot about. Yeah. So there is definitely some concern with deli meat, but the, the chances of you getting listeriosis from listeria that is often found in deli meats is actually extremely rare. I think there's like 1600 cases a year in the U S of listeriosis, which there's like billions of people in the world in the US. So <laughs> the I, I don't remember the number. I, I have it written down somewhere, but the percentage is like so, so low of you getting sick from listeriosis. That being said, I don't want to downplay the seriousness of it. If you did, if you were to get listeriosis, it is very serious. So I'm again giving you all the facts so you have the information. Um, but you can always heat the deli meats. So heating them to 165 is going to reduce the risk even more of something, um, some sort of bacteria growing in it. So if you like toasted sandwiches, perfect. You can just toast your sandwiches and you'll be good to go. Um, You know, you can go to a grocery store again that you trust and that maybe freshes 
freshes slices the deli meat fresh right there that could be a better um choice as opposed to buying like the packaged ones from the um refrigerated section or something like that so yeah i guess that's my that's my take on it does that go for red meat as well just eating it cooked through and not rare let's say yeah so with red meat you want to cook it till it's 145 um fahrenheit yeah, I get a lot of questions about steak. If you know people like their steak medium rare or something like that, and I'm not sure the exact or even if there's exact temperatures that correlate with like rare, medium rare, medium. Um, but generally, you want to cook it to 145, um, and you'll you you'll be good. Okay. Yeah. What about fermented foods? I know they're great for gut health: sauerkraut, kimchi, oh, yeah. even kombucha. But are those yeah. okay? Or yeah. are those kind of off limits. No, fermented foods are wonderful for pregnancy. Mm. Um, there's lots of research on both um, probiotic rich foods and probiotic supplements during pregnancy um, and a plethora of benefits from both of those. I always try to say we should focus on food as much as we can. So if you like fermented foods, then I think use fermented foods first. Um, supplementation, of course, is going to be individualized. Um, I can't come on here and say everyone should take a probiotic. Um, but you know, I would have to learn more about you and your health and your background and all of that kind of stuff. But yes, there's definitely evidence that probiotic, um, and prebiotics are great for pregnancy. Okay. And then I don't know. I mean, I'm sure you're familiar with it, but Emily Oster in her book, expecting better, she's kind oh, of yeah. mm-hmm. debunked a lot of the same things that you're talking yeah, yeah. about, but I know she's an economist and she's not actually a dietitian. Yeah. <laughs> but she does say, and maybe that even kind of irks you, but she does say small amounts of wine are okay. I think she says in the third trimester, or do you get questions about alcohol as well? Yeah, I do. And my general consensus is to avoid it. Um, yeah. I know that some doctors even are kind of saying like, oh, third trimester, a little bit of wine is fine. Um which I mean, you also you have to kind of follow recommendations for your doctor from your doctor, of course. But there's no evidence that any amount of alcohol is safe. So I I always just say avoid it if you can, especially in the first trimester. And with most things, you know, you are you and baby are most vulnerable in the first trimester. So if there's really anything you're questioning on whether or not to eat it, just wait till the first trimester passes and you get closer to the halfway point and that sort of thing. Hmm. Do you recommend avoiding alcohol well before trying to conceive? Yeah, definitely. Especially if you're actively trying, because again, right, like I said, some women don't even know they're pregnant until a month or so in. So, you know, I get panicked questions a lot from women who are like, oh my gosh, I had a drink and I had no idea I was pregnant um, and that sort of thing. So I think if you are, you know, you're actively trying and you want to be pregnant, then I think it's best to just avoid it. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. One other kind of myth to debunk or maybe to put out there that people don't know about is I saw you post about lettuce. Oh, Can you yes. explain why that's actually that's something dangerous at times to eat? Yeah. So you know, if you go again, back to the CDC foodborne illness outbreak list, and you can go onto their website, they have yearly, um, each year, they have a list of all the foods that cause like the biggest foodborne illness outbreaks. And 
over anything, every single year, produce causes the most foodborne illness outbreaks, right? Mm-hmm. But we're always talking about cheese and meat and dairy and all these other things. And while those things do cause foodborne illnesses as well, um, produce is like overwhelming <laughs> the biggest one that does. And that's that includes fruits and vegetables and leafy greens. And then I said romaine lettuce specifically because that one seems to always always be on there every single year. And then there's also lots of local outbreaks too. There was just one, I think it was in California, um, either last month or the month before that. I was just on another podcast and we were talking about this too. And after we hopped off, it was a friend of mine. She texted me the next day and she was like, look, there was a foodborne illness outbreak of romaine lettuce. I'm like, I'm not surprised. And then when I posted this on my Instagram, I had several people respond that had worked in the restaurant industry that were like, yeah, I used to work in restaurants and we had like, we had to recall romaine lettuce like multiple times through the years that they, you know, worked at that restaurant. So I don't know what it is about romaine lettuce, but it tends to always cause foodborne illness outbreaks. Um, So again, it's not that you, ha- you have to avoid romaine lettuce at all costs. I would avoid pre-packaged or pre-chopped romaine lettuce and just be cognizant and be aware of it. Maybe when you're ordering at restaurants, maybe don't pick the big romaine lettuce filled salad because you never know, especially if it's a restaurant you've never been to. Um, who knows? You want, you want to trust them that they're washing and doing all of that stuff, but you just never know. Yeah. What is the safest way to wash produce? Um, water. Yeah, there is some. Oh, just water? Yeah, just plain water. Yeah, there's okay. there's all these different washes like vinegar um, washes and baking soda solutions. And really, the evidence is not strong that those are those are more beneficial than just running water in your sink and a good scrub. So I think, okay. honestly, you're, you're safe with just going that route. That's good because... I'm lazy enough when it comes to washing produce. So. Oh, same. I know. <laughs> Thinking I'm like, that oh. I needed to make these solutions. I mean, yeah, that's just, I know. I've never done it and I've just taken my chances. So I'm yeah. glad to hear that that's confirmed. <laughs> yeah, no, the evidence is not strong for those things. Okay, good. So we kind of tackled some of the things that we've heard not to eat, but I'd love to hear just in general, what should we be eating to have the best nutrition? Does it differ much from nutrition ordinarily when you're trying to conceive and pregnant or is it kind of the same? Yeah. So I think, you know, as a whole and most nutrition professionals can agree that we need to eat less refined and processed and foods and less sugar. Um, and we need to be incorporating more whole foods like fruits and vegetables, nuts and seeds, things that come from the earth, right. And are not as much processed. So, you know, when it comes down to it, when you see like all these fad diets out there and someone promoting something, I think that is something that we can all agree on, right? Mm -hmm. We need to eat less added sugar, less refined carbohydrates and processed things and focus more on real whole foods. Um, So I think that's similar to pregnancy, right? We still in when we're trying to conceive and when we're pregnant, we still want to limit our added sugar intake and eat plenty of fruits and vegetables and quality protein sources and nuts and seeds and fatty fish and things like that. So that's all very similar. I just think the difference is that you do have to pay a little more attention to where you're getting certain nutrients because most of the time, you know, 
the average person who's not about to have a baby is not thinking about that, right? They're not thinking about mm-hmm. like, oh, what did I have as a source of folate today? And what did I have as a source of choline? And did I get enough protein in? And, you know, granted, there's some people that are <laughs> on top of those things and, you know, want to make sure they're getting enough protein and all that sort of stuff. But I think when you are pregnant, you just have to be very intentional about what you're eating. And you do actually have to take some extra time to think about it and make sure that nutrient wise, you're covering all your bases. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. And then breastfeeding, you said you just kind of level up all of the nutrients or is it protein or fat? Yeah. So your nutrient needs are so high during breastfeeding, um, even higher than they are during pregnancy. And usually like traditionally the breastfeeding period and postpartum period is characterized by like warming foods, um, like other cultures. I mean, the United States does postpartum so different than most cultures. We're like, Oh, you, you had a baby. Let's go back to week, go back to work in three weeks. And yeah you know, all that sort of stuff. And other cultures do it so differently and so much better and look at it as a time of healing and replenishing and all that sort of stuff. So that's the way you want to do it. If you're able to set up a support system, make sure you have lots of people around you that can help you with, you know, a newborn and cooking and making sure you have, you know, snacks and things available to eat because you're going to be so hungry all the time. People always say that to me. They're like, I did not know how hungry I would be during this time. And you, they find out that they're way hungrier after they have the baby than during pregnancy. Because your, your appetite can be pretty strong during pregnancy for a lot of women. Um, and people are like, oh my gosh, I'm so hungry all the time. But then I'm like, just wait, you're going to get even hungrier. <laughs> is that just if you're breastfeeding or is that just in general post-pregnancy? Post-pregnancy, I think in the early weeks, whether you're breastfeeding or not, I think that can be common just because your body is looking to restore all the nutrients like baby kind of (laughs) took during Uh pregnancy. So yeah, regardless if you're breastfeeding or not, there's absolutely still a period of time where you want to make sure you're replenishing everything and um, staying really adequately nourished throughout that, that time. What are some of the most bang for your buck foods you can eat to ensure you're getting enough nutrients? Ooh, eggs. I talk about eggs all the time. Eggs, they're cheap and they're such a quality protein source. Then they provide so many nutrients. Um, Make sure to eat the yolk though, because the yolk has about half of the the protein in like all of the nutrients. I think majority of the nutrients, like all of the choline um, is in the yolk. So you definitely want to eat that. Don't leave that out. Um, Yeah. Eggs are really great. I think Salmon is really great. Salmon has a lot of nutrients as well. Same thing. Very great source of protein. I think Greek yogurt is really great if you're someone that is not sensitive to dairy or lactose intolerant. Um, Greek yogurt's great. Again, with the Greek yogurt, you're going to get a bit more protein than normal yogurt. But if you're not a fan of Greek yogurt, plain yogurt is still definitely fine (laughs) to eat as well. You're still going to get plenty of nutrients from that. So yeah, love Greek yogurt. And that's again, uh, fermented food. So we just talked about probiotics. Mm -hmm. So you'll get probiotics um, from that as well. Lentils are great. Uh, Lentils have a lot of folate. And again, great protein, plenty of other nutrients in there and fiber. Um, On the same fiber note, I think cruciferous vegetables are really great. So like Brussels sprouts, broccoli, cauliflower, kale, um, that's a really good 
one as well. And then I have to mention chia seeds as well, which have a very high mineral content. You can throw it in your Greek yogurt. There you go. You got a snack um, and fiber. Again, really chia seeds have a really good balance of fiber and constipation is a big issue in pregnancy. So chia seeds can really help keep you regular and keep things moving while you're still getting um, lots of vitamins and minerals and protein as well, actually. Hmm, awesome. Uh, is there any scientific correlation between infertility and nutrition? So infertility is complex, right? Right. There's so many factors that could possibly be affecting your fertility. It's never a bad idea to make nutrition changes. And yeah. right. And they're, having better nutrition is only going to help increase your chances of becoming pregnant. Now, if that's the sole issue of you not being able to get pregnant, I don't know if we can make that connection. Mm. Um, but there's definitely, you know, correlations between nutrients and potentially like if you have an increased inflammation, like if your omega-6, omega-3 ratio is off and things like that, those could possibly correlate. Um, so yeah, there's definitely links. I Again, I don't think we can say like, you have poor nutrition, so you're not going to be able to get pregnant. Right, right. right. But I think that if you, if you do, if you are going through, you know, IVF or IUI, or you're thinking of possibly that might be the next step for you. Um, I definitely think making nutrition changes and maybe working with a dietitian, someone who is a nutrition expert in this space is only going to increase your chances of being pregnant. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that a lot of women are hungrier after they're pregnant than during pregnancy, but then I think there's also possibly a myth floating around out there that you have to eat for two. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Can you tackle that one? Yeah, the eating for two myth, that is something that I talk about all the time as well because I feel that I've done a good job at busting that myth and people are saying it less, but I think that's just because I'm in my own head and I'm like, yeah, nobody thinks that anymore. <laughs> yeah. um, but, you know, I, I definitely think that still floats around. And especially with just, you know, if you're pregnant and you, you go, you see relatives or something, they might throw that term out there or whatever it is. Um, but I always like to kind of change it up and say nourishment for two instead, just to make it sound a little more intentional. Like I had already said, like, yes, we do want to be more intentional about our nutrition and think about certain nutrients and stuff like that. But we definitely don't need to double anything we are eating. Um, our nutrient needs increase, but they don't double for any nutrient. Um, your calorie needs don't double whatsoever. Some women might need, um, increases in calories as they go along. Some women might actually end up eating the same amount of calories that they they started with. Some women may, may eat less calories, maybe because of nausea and things like that. So it's just so different for everyone. But you're certainly not eating for, for two humans. You are eating for like one and a fourth of a human, <laughs> I guess, maybe. Maybe even less. Right. It's always seemed weird Tiny. to me because... Yeah, I mean, there's one full human, and then there's one teeny tiny. Human. Yeah. So this idea teeny, of eat tiny. for two, eat double yeah. what you've been eating, seems a little bizarre. Yeah, and granted, of course, if I and I'm, I always talk about eating to based on your hunger, right? So like this mindful eating, intuitive eating, 
approach is basically like following your hunger and fullness cues, which is easier said than done, of course. Um, and it takes time and, you know, you, you want to be able to just tune into your body and really listen to it. it. Are you hungry? And if you do eat a meal and you still feel hungry, then by all means eat something else, right? We just want to listen and give our body what it wants, especially during pregnancy. What if somebody is used to not eating breakfast or isn't hungry in the morning? Is that bad to go a long span without eating or is that okay? Um, it's definitely going to depend on the individual, right? Yeah. Um, and especially if if I am, you know, working with someone one-on-one, I have a client who's actually pretty similar to this. She usually doesn't eat breakfast until like 10 or something like that. And she had the same question as like, is this bad? Should I force myself to eat in the morning? And generally, no. I mean, if you really wake up and you're not hungry until, you know, a couple hours later, then I think, again, listening to your body is important. Um, If you are fasting for like more than 12 hours, usually between like dinner and breakfast, then we might want to think about making some changes, whether that's making sure you eat earlier, right? Because that Mm -hmm. often happens. People are like, I don't get it. I'm never hungry when I wake up. And I'm like, what time are we eating dinner? And they're like, 9pm. Like, (laughs) that's why. (laughs) Yeah. Right. So we can do some digging and asking of questions like that and kind of figuring out maybe why. Um, Maybe that's just the way your body is, right? We're all different. Some people love to eat small, frequent meals throughout the day. Some people prefer to eat three large meals. And honestly, I think whatever works for you and baby is the best thing to do. I'd love to tackle folic acid versus folate Mm -hmm. and which is best in a prenatal. I hear all sorts of conflicting advice about this, but just what your take is on that. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of conflicting information out there. Um, So they are the same nutrient, right? Folate is vitamin B9. Folate is the natural form that's naturally found in food, whereas folic acid is actually the synthetic form. So it is a form that's found in supplements a lot, and it's the form that they use to fortify foods as well. So flour-based products are fortified with folic acid, the synthetic form, Um, and they did that because I think this was in the 80s. They decided that they they were seeing an increase in neural tube defects, the like I said at the beginning, folate's involved in developing the brain and the spinal cord of baby. So they were seeing a lot of defects in babies being born. So they're like, hey, why don't we just put folic acid in all the (laughs) refined carbohydrate products? That'll fix the issue. And it did. It actually did. They saw a decrease in neural tube defects. So it totally worked. Um, But my, my take on it is, is it smart to be pushing these flour based products, right? Um, like breads and cereals and things like that, which those are fine. Don't get me wrong. You can absolutely fit those things into your diet. Um, those just shouldn't be like the main components of your diet. Right. Mm -hmm. So folate is the natural kind and that's found in like avocados and citrus fruits and leafy greens, asparagus, um, things like that. So that's where I generally say we should put our focus is on those folate containing foods. And then same thing with supplements. I generally um, recommend choosing a supplement that has folate versus folic acid um, or L-methylfolate, 
which is the active form, like the most active form of folate, essentially. I won't get too, too sciencey on you, but if your supplement says something like that, has the word like methyl or L5 methyl folate or something like that, that's a good, that's a good form. Real quick, I want to take a break from the episode to share one of my favorite resources with you. One of the BS messages floating around out there is that eating healthy costs too much. Honestly, I used to believe this myself. That is, until I discovered ThriveMarket.com. Thrive Market is an online grocery platform that's essentially Costco meets Trader Joe's meets Whole Foods. I love that I can shop on their mobile app and have all of my favorite groceries, everything from natural wine to 100% grass-fed beef to nutritious crackers, everything, delivered right to my door. Last year, I saved over $1,000 shopping on Thrive. I honestly can't think of one reason not to love it. To save a percentage off your first order and see my full shopping list, click through the links in the show notes. Now, back to the episode. Do you have a prenatal vitamin that is kind of your go-to that you recommend, or do you say it kind of depends? So I don't. I really never push one supplement to the masses just because, again, we are all so unique and we have such individualized needs. Um, It is going to depend on a lot of things, you know, your past health history, your current dietary intake, looking at your blood work to see if you do have any deficiencies. And all of that is what helps me create supplement recommendations for my clients. So I generally don't really push one supplement to everyone. There are things you you should look for, like what I was just talking about, about the folate. That's absolutely something I would look for. I would absolutely look for a supplement that's third-party tested because as we know, the supplement's like a billion-dollar industry and you it seems like a new supplement is literally on the market every single day. <laughs> So it's overwhelming and it gets frustrating because there is so many options. So, you know, that's kind of irritating, but also good, right? We have a lot of options, but we also have a lot of options. Um, So it gets a little bit hard. But yeah, third party testing basically means the company has gone through a third party to make sure to have their supplements tested for quality and purity, basically saying that what is in their supplement is actually in there and that it's free from like toxins and things that we don't want in our supplements. Right. Mm-hmm, right. Makes and, sense. And usually that's pretty easy to find because supplement companies are pretty proud that they spent the extra money, right. <laughs> to right. hire a third party and test their supplements and all that sort of stuff. So if you're at the grocery store and you're looking at supplements, it'll say usually has like a stamp or a sticker or something on the bottle You could also, if you're shopping online, go online, go to their website, go to kind of like their about page or more info or something like that. And it should stay on there too. Okay. Well, that's good. That's good to know that kind of look beyond the bottle if necessary. But as you said, they probably probably put it on there because they're like, hey, look at this. (laughs) Exactly. They're like, we're proud of this. We're clean. We have a clean supplement. And please read this. Yeah. You mentioned that uh, women can sometimes crave sushi, but I'm wondering if, let's say a woman's craving things like cake and cookies and ice cream, what are your recommendations for that person to still eat a lot of nutrients, but also kind of meet cravings, I guess? Yeah. So 
I, I, cravings are normal, right? To an extent, they, they're going to happen for most people in pregnancy. And they're usually most heightened in the first trimester, especially for like the carb heavy, maybe more sweet foods is what women typically crave in the first trimester. Um, if your cravings for those types of things kind of last beyond the first trimester and well into the second trimester and kind of keep going, then that's not, that's something that we want to look at. And we want to look at the distribution of your plate, your macronutrient distribution, because there might be an imbalance there that's causing you to have those extra cravings, possibly a blood sugar imbalance, because if your blood sugar is all over the place, that can increase your cravings as well. So Again, I talked about listening to your body and intuitive eating and that sort of thing too. So to an extent, I think it's okay to listen to your cravings. And if you're craving a piece of toast or a bowl of pasta or even a cookie or chocolate or you know whatever it is, I think it's fine to listen to your body and indulge in those things. Of course, I don't think we should be eating candy and sweets and cookies all day long, every day, (laughs) Um, that type of thing. But I think you're okay with indulging every now and then, similar to when you're not pregnant, right? Right, exactly. I think you come from a perspective is what I work on with my clients as well, of just including all of the things rather than all the things you shouldn't eat. And then once you start eating enough protein and you're filling your plate with vegetables, you actually notice you're less snacky Yeah, and you actually don't crave those things as much. It's kind of a miracle actually. Exactly. And that's, that's exactly going to fall away. Yeah. That's exactly what I mean by looking at your plate and saying like, okay, how does your breakfast look? Do you have enough protein? All of those things. And yeah, I agree with you. You're, you will definitely be surprised. Awesome. Well, I am so grateful for your time. And just wrapping up, I ask each of my my guests a final question, which is, in your opinion, what does it mean to make the health investment, which you can feel free to take just in general or gear it more towards prenatal nutrition if you'd like? Oh, yeah. Okay. The health investment, I think, with pregnancy, and this is one of the reasons why I love working with this population and why I have always loved it is because you're making an impact for not just you anymore. It's two people, right? So what you're doing is affecting somebody else. And so I love that. I think that that's, and that is a big reason why for so many people and so many clients that I work with, I know is that they're realizing like, okay, it's not just me anymore. I have somebody else to take care of and somebody else that what I'm doing is now impacting in a huge way. So that's why they take the the extra step and just make sure that they're doing everything they possibly can to make sure they're having the healthiest pregnancy possible. Right. Makes sense. Well, that leads perfectly into how you can help because I think a lot of people are kind of lost and scared, like you said, and anxious in this time. And first of all, I will put a link to your Instagram, which is incredible. And I am not pregnant, but I love (laughs) following along anyway, because I feel like I'm getting constant, really practical nutrition advice. But how else can people work with you? Yeah, so Instagram is definitely my main platform where I am showing up daily there, providing education um, for your preconception and pregnancy journey. So definitely follow me there. Um, Outside of that, my newest online resource is called the prenatal nutrition library. So 
this was created because I kept getting so many questions about where can I go to figure out how much of this nutrient I need, or where can I go to make sure this supplement is safe, or where is there a place where I can figure out if certain foods are safe or not during pregnancy? And I'm like, I could not recommend anything. I was like, there is no website where you can find all of this information all together. And so I'm like, I have to create this, right? Wow. <laughs> so, I bet that took forever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. It's, and it's growing, right? So I launched, so it's the prenatal nutrition library and it's a monthly membership. We add new content to it every Monday. So it's growing and growing and growing every week with how much content is in there. Um, all of the notes in there are extremely evidence-based. We link um, all of our research. So if you're like a super nerd like me and you want to go look at the journals and read them yourself, you're welcome to do that. They're all linked. So you know exactly where we got our information because that's the other issue. You go on to Google and you find like 20 different answers and then the page that you're looking at, they don't cite any of their sources. So it's like, where did they get this information? Are they making this up? Is it just something they they read one day or heard one day? So it's just very confusing and you just don't know who to trust. So the prenatal nutrition library is perfect if you have tons of questions about what is safe or not for pregnancy and what is optimal to eat during pregnancy. If there's not a topic yet in there that you want to see, you have a questions forum where you can ask me questions. So I'm actually the one answering the questions in there on a weekly basis. And then there's also a great community aspect of it because we actually have over a thousand women in there that are going through the exact same journey that you're on. So it's really nice to be able to connect with women from again, all over the world, which is so cool. Um, so yeah, check it out. That's just the prenatal nutrition library.com. We're launching an app next week. I don't know when this oh, is wow. airing, <laughs> but December 7th, the week of December 7th, we're launching an app. So you'll be able to download it on your phone and literally access this information within seconds, which is amazing. That's incredible. In the grocery store aisles this year. Right. Breaking a sweat. Yeah. <laughs> trying to figure I, out. Ah. Yeah. Can I eat this cheese? Well, yep. that's great. And then can clients also work with you one-on-one? Yeah. So I do. I'm accepting a pretty limited amount of one-on-one clients now. Um, I'm full for the end of 2020, but I will be accepting some new clients in 2021. Um, so yeah, you can definitely still work with me on a one-on-one basis. It's just pretty limited. So if you want to work with me one-on-one, you can just go to my website, theprenatalnutritionist.com. There'll be more information there and in an email to contact to get on the wait list too. Oh, awesome. Okay, cool. I'll put links to all of these things in the show notes, but yeah, so grateful to have you here today. I love having, you know, we talk a lot about nutrition on the podcast, but I like having kind of these more narrow scopes to dive deep into and just really appreciate everything you've shared with us today. Yeah, well, thanks so much for having me. It was a blast chatting. Well, that's all for today. Before the next episode drops, I'd love to chat with you one-on-one about the BS messages and methods currently holding you back. You deserve simple weight loss and sustainable wellness. So let's figure out how to make both happen. To book your free consultation, click through the link in the show notes. Again, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Health Investment Podcast. See you next week. All content in this podcast was created for general informational purposes only by a non-physician. None of the content should serve as a substitute for professional medical advice, treatment, or diagnosis.
always consult a qualified health provider with any questions regarding a medical condition and before making changes to your diet, lifestyle, and or exercise programs. Do not disregard any professional medical advice you have received or postpone seeking such advice because of something you heard on this podcast.